Nintendo Week is brought to you by Shy Guy Metals. We mine silver so you can win the gold. And welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of June 22nd through June 28th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. The first full week of summer. And Ben Lamoureux. Which I'll spend inside playing video games, mostly. <laughs> We've got a lot of news to get to today, so we're going to start off with a slew of Zelda news before turning our attention to a few third-party games, and then we're going to take it to Fortune Street for some news about hardware, like NX and fun stuff like that. Uh, after the break, it is all about you listeners. We'll be answering listener questions in the Mystery House before turning it over to the Sacred Realm, uh, our discussion segment where you guys suggest the topic. We'll probably be off next week, so don't get your hopes up for a new episode. Uh, enjoy this one while it lasts, I guess, um, although my computer is not at full power, so it might not be as long as we had hoped. We'll see. Um, but with that all said, do you guys want to head to the news block? Let's, Let's do it. Let's take it to the news block. Let's hit it. So Nintendo doesn't quite consider Zelda Breath of the Wild to be an open-world game. In fact, Bill Trennan says he prefers to think of it as what he calls an open-air game. He says a lot of open-world games use that space so that they can tell story, but Zelda is really all about the world and sort of breathing the wild. Uh, and this lines up pretty strongly with something from Miyamoto, who says that the game really isn't heavy on story. There is one, of course, but you don't need to see it if you don't want. You know, it's, it's just not as important to this game as it has been to others. Yeah, this to me is kind of like when uh, Koji Igarashi, the Castlevania developer, says that his games aren't uh, Metroidvania style, they're Igavania style. <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, I, I also kind of wonder if there's more to that phrase open air than we think. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we already know that the sailcloth is a big deal, but then there's also this big floating island in the sky that we can see in some of the game art and the footage and stuff. Um, so I feel like that's got to be a place that you can visit. Plus, the Treehouse member mentioned that there will be, like, other vehicles, kind of like the horse, which makes me sort of think of the Loftwings from Skyward Sword. Um, so I feel like those might come back in some way and make air travel, you know, faster and, and even better than the sailcloth. So I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting things going on. How could you possibly get better than a sailcloth? The the answer is clearly that you'll get the master bike and it will be able to fly. Oh, my God. <laughs> the flying master <laughs> or, bike. Did you believe uh, that? your Epona or your horse will just sprout wings at For some point. It'll be a Pegasus. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, get the new. Pegasus boots and actually run in the air. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think we've cracked uh, it. So I have two thoughts on this. The first thought is that, come on, Nintendo, this is clearly an open world game. Like, you've <laughs> yeah. borrowed so many trappings from other open world games. There's, a, like, no point in dancing around this. Uh, not only that, but they were marketing it as such, you know, before they even really announced it. So mm-hmm. just let's just call it an open world game. But um, on the flip side, I, I do kind of appreciate uh, that they're trying to be thoughtful about not just making a genre game, but also doing new and interesting sure. things with it. Because from what we've seen of, of Breath of the Wild, it's not just about uh, running around a world uh, to uh, do a bunch of quests, you know, kind of like how... Uh, Miyamoto says the game's not really about story. It's more about the world itself. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it's odd that that would be why they wouldn't call it open world if it's about the world. But uh, it, it does show that they're taking a different approach to other open world games in the sense uh, that the open exploration is about interacting with the world. 
Yeah. Yeah, I really like the thought behind the name. I just think it's kind of silly that they're sort of trying to like push this in interviews and things because I really don't think it's going to stick. And, and like you said, open world is already a term that pretty well sums that up. Yeah. yeah like, why can't they just say this is the best open world game you'll ever play because it's so immersive? <laughs> like, because there's so much, much open air in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does make a lot of use of vertical space already that uh, uh-huh. that we've already seen. So, but every mountain can be climbed <laughs> and literally climbed, actually. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Onuma also said that the whole breakable weapons mechanic in Breath of the Wild is created so that players would think more carefully about combat, which kind of hits on something that you said a little while ago, Alex, about how recent games, kind of Zelda games, kind of just let you mow down enemies, like, forever. Um, so I wanted to bring this one up because someone said something that really spoke to me in the comment section on this story, which is that they really don't like the idea that by the end of the game you won't have a nice completed inventory where you can use anything you want at any time. And I agree. It's it's a really fun, cool feeling in Zelda when you get that last item and you kind of feel like you're you know the master of the world and the master of the materials. And this game in particular would make that feeling just unbelievably good. So I do kind of hope that there's some kind of ultimate version of every different kind of item. Like, they'd be hard to get, obviously, but I I really think that they should be present. Um, In part because completing the inventory is an essential part of any Zelda game to me. And it would be really sad if the game doesn't have a moment like that because, you know, everything's always breaking. But also in part because this world is just so massive and so interesting and fun to interact with that I certainly can't think of a better reward for, you know, doing all that stuff than to just give players unlimited resources of every kind and just let everyone run wild. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like the Master Sword will sort of be the ultimate unbreakable sword, and and we'll Mm -hmm. probably get maybe the mirror shield or something along those lines. But it would be really cool to have just sort of a, you know, the, like an uber weapon in each category. But also, I think for the for the collectionists, they could do sort of like a, a glossary of items and weapons. Like you could have like a like a journal or something, not necessarily a journal, but just some sort of documentation showing, like, you know, every kind of bow you've collected and what's it, what its stats are, which ones you currently have, which ones you don't, just so mm-hmm. people can kind of keep track of all the different things in the overworld. Yeah, um, or some kind of a light achievement system where all the sort of Easter eggy type weapons or, or hard-to-find weapons are, are documented uh, specifically. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that'd be good, too. Um, I still am really happy about the breakable weapons because... Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I said this before, but it, it makes the game much more balanced yeah. uh, in the sense that if you are terrible at the game, you can grab the, the claymore and just wreck everything on the Great Plateau, <laughs> or you can be like, I don't need no claymore, and go beat uh, Step Talus with a stick. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's totally up to you how you want to use your weapons. If you want to get the weapons, um, whether you want to save the weapons for later, um so I, I agree with you both, though, in that I'd really like to see, uh, un, uh, if not unbreakable weapons, then certainly really, really strong weapons that can be repaired and, and that you can kind of hold on to for a long time. But I wouldn't want them necessarily to be items that are re- you get as a required part of the story. I'd really like them to be kind of uh, super secret, uh, yeah. really hard to get, uh, not necessarily required uh, weapons, because 
I feel like it would break the the approach they're taking to balance if at some point you do get a weapon that doesn't break. Yeah, um, I, like the whole idea just has me thinking of kind of like the bigger on sword and Ocarina of Time. You have to go do yeah. all these. It's like a side quest chain, and that I feel like is a little outdated now. But the idea that it's an optional thing, it's like the ultimate weapon, uh, and you have to do like very secret big things like that in order to get them. Clear particularly hard dungeons. Yeah, exactly. I could see a really difficult shrine toward the end of the game that's really complex. Yeah. Uh, requires you to maybe have all your all your runes upgraded or something like that, and that's how you get the best shield that doesn't break or something. Mm-hmm. It's also, I guess, possible that, you know, all the special items like the magnet and stuff, those are the ones where you get a completed inventory and just the swords and shields and stuff. You don't, you know, really need to think about it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is another consideration because they, they have said that the, the, the runes will be upgradable. Yeah. Uh, and in a somewhat similar vein, Miyamoto said that there's no green tunic, at least so far, in Breath of the Wild, because otherwise players would probably just want to wear that and never anything else. His answer specifically included the phrase, I don't know, but there are just a lot of clothes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to wear. <laughs> anyway, I think this idea kind of ties back to what we were just saying, because whether or not they do all that with the inventory, I am totally confident they're going to do it with the clothes and the green tunic and the tights and everything are going to be acquired at, like, almost the very end of the game. They'll probably be, like, the best equipment you can get for most situations, if not all. And, Ben, like you said, the Master Sword, I think, will probably be the the unbreakable, super powerful weapon, stuff like that. You know, I think this goes to show, and I I think we might have even speculated on this back before uh, the game was re-unveiled, but it goes to show that a lot of the decisions they made about what they showed us at first when they first showed off this game uh, in 2014 were designed around the idea of teasing sort of game mechanics that we you hadn't really been told about yet. Mm-hmm. And I think I even said back in 2014, you know, I think they're probably showing us a link wearing different clothes because there will be different equipment equipment options in this game. And lo and behold, that's what Miyamoto is saying was the point of giving him this blue tunic at the beginning mm-hmm. or toward the beginning is they want players to, to use a bunch of different kinds of clothes. They don't want them to just get the green tunic at the beginning of the game and never change it out uh, as they go. Right. Um, Alright, well, so that's enough Zelda news for now, but there is a ton more from the past week, so I'm going to give you a quick mini lightning round with some of the more prominent ones. Uh, of course, there are still more we don't have time for, so be sure to check up, catch up on all of it at Gamnesia.com. Uh, Anuma wants to make a multiplayer Zelda game using what he learned from Breath of the Wild. Uh, Breath of the Wild features teleportation points for players to fast travel across the world. Anuma says giving Link a voice could ruin his relationship with the player. Fan reactions to Skyward Sword are why Anuma upended the formula with Breath of the Wild. The Song of time is secretly hidden within the demo of Breath of the Wild, and Alex here wrote a fantastic editorial about Zelda's history with open worlds and Anuma's weird unwillingness to admit that that's not a new idea. I guess all I'll say is, yes, I know that Aonuma does sometimes talk about the original game, but in general, he tends to, to describe the shift to open world and Breath of the Wild as a breaking of conventions, and when open worlds are the convention that in many ways The Legend of Zelda started... That's really, really strange. <laughs> right. Um, but keep on trucking, Aonuma. Well, he didn't like the first Zelda, so it doesn't count. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> so the Sonic team confirmed that they are making a new Sonic game, and they later announced that it's coming in 2017. The chief brand officer of the Sonic franchise said that as of this year specifically, they're really putting an emphasis on making quality Sonic products. Uh, for example, the Sonic Boom Fire and Ice delay is something that wouldn't have happened in the past. And beyond that, they really want to turn him into an entertainment icon and not just like a gaming icon. So, as the chief brand officer of the Sonic franchise, 
Like, how does he feel about the fact that his his franchise is mostly just known for memes now? He inherited that. It's not his fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've their social media guys like embraced this. That's slightly yeah. yeah, No, he's running presences is just memes. I I I am very skeptical of the entertainment icon direction because. First of all, Sonic used to be, I wouldn't say a huge entertainment icon, but certainly all over all different kinds of entertainment. Uh, and at kinds of entertainment that were popular, by the way. The original cartoon seemed to be yeah. pretty popular. It spawned a really uh, long, I think still going comic series. Um, a bunch of uh, merchandising. Like Sonic should have be there already, and certainly after 25 years. Uh, yeah. So if he's not there yet, I don't know what they can do to get him there. By, by all means, make those quality Sonic games, though, please. I'm, I'm very skeptical of that, too, but uh, that's, a good, that's a good area of focus. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Yacht Club Games revealed an extensive look at what's in the works for Shovel Knight, detailing information about both DLC campaigns, the battle mode, and more. They showed off some smooth gifts of Spectre Knight gameplay, which looks really fun, so you can check all that out at Gamnesia. Uh, they're also running a poll to get fan feedback about what kind of game they should make next. They're listing a Shovel Knight sequel, Shovel Cart, as well as dozens of classic styles like Mario, Zelda, Mega Man, Contra, an RPG, and Metroid, and lots more. Yeah, you know I uh, gave like a five-star rating to that Metroid idea. Oh, yeah. I would love oh, to see them tackle that. For sure. Uh, I think it would be cool to see them do an RPG as well, because they clearly <laughs> have you know a, a good grasp of what made retro games so fun while still being able to appeal to a modern audience, and they've got a, you know, a sense of humor about them too, so I think mm-hmm. it'd be really interesting to see them tackle the RPG genre. Definitely. Yeah, plus classic style RPGs are kind of out of vogue unless it's on mobile or uh, or a uh, remaster. <laughs> right. Um, or Bravely series, but I don't know. It seems... Kind of, yeah, sure. It, it's, it is certainly more niche than, than the mainstream RPGs used to be. Sure. Yeah, definitely. The CEO of Level 5 thinks that Yokai Watch 2 will be a huge phenomenon in the West, and he says the series can still be as successful here as it is in Japan. The first game launched in the West to mediocre sales, but he says that he thinks that they're following the same trend here as it did in Japan, where it really only took off with Yokai Watch 2. Specifically, he says they need to change the messaging so Western markets see what aspects of the series are familiar and appealing, rather than publish the game as is. I can only assume what he means by that is the Yokai, because that's obviously the whole point of the game. But the idea of yokai was already a thing in Japan for centuries, whereas here nobody knows what the f- a yokai is. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty significant problem. But yeah. he is right in saying that the the first game didn't. I mean, it sold well, but it didn't like dominate the Japanese charts. If I remember right, the second game actually broke a million sales either before or like right at the exact same time as the first game. And that was partly aided because it launched in two different versions, but it just sold way better out the gate than the first one. And I, I suppose sort of brand recognition and establishing themselves with the anime and everything like, everything like that, uh, you know, really helped them to be in a, a stronger position for the second game. Yeah. So maybe maybe they can see more success with Yokai Watch 2 in the States, you know, follow that same pattern. But I highly doubt it's going to reach Japan's numbers because, like you said, you know, Pokemon, that's something that, like, anyone could get into, but Yokai. Uh, no one in the West really knows right. what that is. The means. idea of animals is appealing to the entire world. The idea of yokai, really only Japan gets it. I, I kind of question the the idea that it could even become a, quote, huge phenomenon. Because when you think about gaming phenomenon, there are things that really kind of change gaming culture. And I don't, I don't really see yokai watch 
having that effect. It could be a, a pretty big seller, but it's not going to be this like thing that takes the gaming world by storm. Sure. I don't think that's even possible. Sure. But I don't know, with with game names like Bony and Fleshy, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds like it should be a Vita game, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that is it for the news block, so we'll take it to the Fortune Street. Alright everybody, welcome to Fortune Street, a segment where we discuss recent updates from the more businessy side of Nintendo, from their financial status to sales data, various tech projects and stuff like that. Microsoft tried to partner with Nintendo before creating the original Xbox. Unlike the popular rumor that Microsoft tried to buy Nintendo might have you believe, they actually wanted to team up. Microsoft offered to handle the software and networking side of the console while Nintendo would handle the hardware. Nintendo said no, of course, because everything in the last 16 years happened, but, uh, you know, we all love to play some revisionist history now and again, but it's hard to tell whether Nintendo made a good call here, because it's not clear whether Microsoft wanted to take the reins on Nintendo's game development, or if they just mean that they work on, like, the console's OS and maybe some games like Halo and stuff like that, uh, because those are two very different partnerships. Yeah, if it was the former, just no way. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Um, you know, I think when you look at Microsoft's sort of uh, motivation for creating the Xbox, which was Sony stealing all of their potential PC players, and so their PC market isn't growing, at least for games. Um, I think their real motivation was to get uh, boxes that had DirectX support and maybe ran some version of Windows. In which mm-hmm. case, yeah, I think the the software involvement would have been, you know, to to promote those things as as major software platforms for development. So I don't think I think we would have seen some games like I think we would have seen Halo as their sort of tech demo or tech showcase for their their uh, developer technology for Windows. But yeah, I I think they would have very much let Nintendo be Nintendo when it comes to their own software development. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you said, uh, Microsoft entering the market was sort of just a a way of making sure that Sony didn't get a a monopoly and start to steal the gamers from them. So they approached Nintendo first because you have an established partner in the video game industry if you can team up with Nintendo. And then when Nintendo turned them down, they actually then approached Sony and were like, hey, how about we build your next console? Let's get in on this Monopoly. <laughs> Can I and buy Sony place? was like, how about no? <laughs> so then they finally decided to uh, strike out on their own mm-hmm. and, and make something. Uh, I, just, I just think it's interesting that Philips, Sony, and Microsoft have all tried to partner with Nintendo. And in some cases, Nintendo agreed and then backed out. But, you know, with Microsoft, they just straight up turned them down. Nah. So Nintendo does not play well with others when it comes to hardware, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny because uh, all those companies would have sort of provided strengths that Nintendo doesn't have. Uh, yeah, because definitely. they're involved in other areas of tech, and Nintendo is not. And so Nintendo's impulse is always, well, we don't need to focus on the tech. We need to focus on the entertainment uh, which is their strength, but at the same time, they have run into trouble when their tech isn't what developers want to use. Right. Like, if they were working with another company, then maybe they could actually leverage their entertainment more than 12 million console sales. Zing! And yeah. that wasn't even meant to be a zinger. That's just kind of how it came out, because, like, just that's a, sad. Yeah. <laughs> Reality's a zinger. Yeah. The president of WB says they're going to support Nintendo with NX, which a lot of people have been getting excited about, but the full quote in context tells a slightly different story. He says that WB is constantly trying to navigate the console space and making sure that publishers can always get returns on the increasing cost of investment in console gaming. So he says that supporting Nintendo is not a question, but, you know, saying, hey, buddy, I support you isn't 
really the same as committing to release games. I mean, yeah. they'll release the Lego games on NX. Yeah, exactly. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's basically the same level of commitment we've gotten from every Western third party for every Nintendo platform, which is, sure, we'll support you. Right. But if the opportunity is not there, why would we su- why would we continue to support you? So... <laughs> Hi, dog. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be more status quo until, uh, until we see otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and then it's ironic because, you know... When you say every other Nintendo console, that includes the Wii U, which is exactly the level of third-party support that people are hearing this and thinking, finally, it's over! But no. No. Not really. (laughs) Not what he's saying. Zelda Breath of the Wild lists video game cartridges in its trademark, which could suggest that the NX does indeed use cartridges instead of discs, as recent patents have also suggested. We've talked before about the benefits of cartridges in the modern day, now that they're so much smaller and cheaper and improve load times and all that jazz. And if NX is a hybrid, they can be switched from console to handheld that much more easily. Um, So I don't know if we have anything to add to that discussion, but I know, Alex, you're feeling a little skeptical here. So... The reason why I'm feeling skeptical is the reason why uh, this was significant was that uh, it's the first game that would be coming out on a disc and uh, that isn't, you know, known to be cross-platform on 3DS or anything like that, that also listed cartridges. But at the same time, we had Ever Oasis, which was just announced for 3DS, which clearly isn't a game that's releasing on disc because it's a 3DS exclusive and it, unlike other 3DS games, also lists discs in its trademark well maybe they're making an nx version who knows um um maybe uh <laughs> probably not probably not. i'm thinking what's happening is that they had a guy who did both the trademark applications for their two things that they filed in june and he just decided that he didn't want to pick one or the other for <laughs> either of them and so they're just tagged with everything that's possible uh, that actual theory by the way not not joking so that's that's my thought or maybe that's just their policy from now on. Is they're not gonna, they're not even gonna uh, dis- discriminate medium-wise. Who knows? All right. Well, with all our news discussion subjects done, let's go to the lightning round. We've now arrived at the beloved lightning round, where we bring you little nuggets of information from the past week. If you want to read more about any of these stories or any of the ones we discussed earlier, you can check them out at gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page, you'll see all these links. So first up, recent releases and stuff that's now available for you. On Wii U, Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE launched alongside a bunch of new trailers, and that game's getting great reviews across the board, so if you've got a Wii U and no games to play, be sure to check it out. Mario and Sonic at the 2016 Olympics is also now available worldwide. The retail version of Terraria is now available in North America and Europe. Devil's Third is officially just $30 on the eShop. The second generation of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games are now available on the Virtual Console, and in Europe specifically, Mighty Number no. 9 is now available. On Nintendo Nintendo 3DS, Zero Escape, Zero Time Dilemma is now available worldwide, as is Super Ghosts and Ghouls for the new 3DS Virtual Console. On both systems, LEGO Star Wars The Force Awakens is now available. Then we've got a bunch of upcoming dates to look out for. June 30th, Australia is getting their Zelda trading cards. Minecraft Wii U launches at retail in Europe. Box Box Boy launches in North America and Europe. That's July 1st for Australia. Hyrule Warriors Link's Awakening DLC pack launches worldwide. And Linkle is getting the Pegasus boots as a weapon, which is excellent. Yes. Mitomo launches in Mexico, Switzerland, and South Africa. And Pokemon Go's field test period ends. July 1st, Pokemon players can get Shaman through Mystery Gift over Nintendo Network. More news on Pokemon Sun and Moon is coming at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and Yogurt Land launches a new line of Mario-flavored frozen yogurt available through September 8th. 
It tastes like Mario, I guess. <laughs> July 3rd, Pokemon Sun and Moon news debuts on a Japanese Pokemon variety show, but it may be that same news that we see on the 1st. July 7th, Shinichi Masada will hold some kind of Pokemon celebration at Japan Expo 2016. July 8th, Splatoon's Squid Sisters will give a live performance in France. Uh, also on July 8th, the new Squid Sisters Amiibo and the new Splatoon Amiibo will be available. On October 7th, the new set of Mario Amiibo launches in Europe a month before the US. And December 28th, Nintendo is shutting down online multiplayer for Devil's Third. I want to say this is some kind of record, but I, I, I just don't know if Nintendo shut something down faster than this. So. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, a rundown of all the smaller things that happened this week. Night Owls beat Early Birds in North America's latest Splatfest. Nintendo launched a Miiverse competition with a prize of a 2DS in several games. The Nintendo 64 and Mario 64 both turned 20 years old. Sonic turned 25 years old and Sega released a commemorative video and a batch of classic character sketches to celebrate. Sega said Wii U's poor sales have been unfortunate for Sonic. We learned that Rare was almost sold to Activision instead of Microsoft. So that's sort of another case of, you know, what could have been. Um, on one hand, I, I shudder to think of Activision being in control of, like, some impressive rare franchises and turning them into soulless annual releases. GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, yeah. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, Rare would have still been making games for Nintendo if this had happened. Yeah. Uh, Disney revealed an Infinity figure that they had planned for Spider-Gwen before the game was cancelled. Miyamoto said that Nintendo hasn't said more about NX because they're working on a secret idea. And yesterday was Nintendo's quarterly shareholders meeting. We're recording Tuesday night, so we don't actually know what happened yet, but by the time you're listening, be sure to check it out at Gamnesia to read all about it. Hyrule Warriors Link's Awakening DLC packs includes new costumes and the new weapon, the Pegasus Boots, for Linkle. Monster Hunter Generations features some content from Strider. Dragon Quest XI may use passwords to transfer your 3DS save files to your PS4. Amiibo unlock paint jobs for your mech in Metroid Prime Federation Force. You can get gorgeous Amiibo stands for your Amiibo to show them off. Metacom is making an awesome Link figure based on Breath of the Wild. And Europe is getting a special edition Pokemon Sun and Moon 3DS and Steelbook. Smashified shows us how the Mecha Drago from Mother 3 would look as a Smash trophy. Japanese researchers made an amazing VR version of Splatoon. Hackers are now using Pokemon Picross as a vehicle for homebrew exploits. And Dolphin 5.0 is available now, making GameCube and Wii games playable like never before. Online multiplayer melee, here we come. Nintendo's found a new partner to distribute their games to Greece. Nintendo UK chose a new general manager. Reggie says Breath of the Wild will be a system seller for NX, and Michael Pactor says it can sell 10 million units easily. I feel like with the amount they must be spending on that game, they better sell 10 million units. Yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Pactor also predicted that Skyward Sword would sell 10 million, and that only sold like 3 million. So hopefully his prediction is a little more true this time. I think it was more like 4.5. Maybe I'm wrong. And a Nintendo job listing suggests NX supports Unreal Engine 4. Uh, Digital Foundry made a detailed technical analysis of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and someone won a tournament game of Smash while using a fishing rod as a controller. So that's all we got for this week's news, but stay tuned, because after the break, we will be right back with answers for your submitted questions. In the meantime, please enjoy Bulby's 8-bit rendition of the Lost Woods theme from Ocarina of Time.
More Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, still joined by Alex Plant. Hey. And Ben Lamoureux. Just nine more months until Breath of the Wild. <laughs> we are making this half of the episode all about you guys. We're going to start it off with a handful of questions for the Mystery House, and after that, we're going to head to the Sacred Realm to discuss my Nintendo, uh, now that Your we've had Nintendo. a few months to absorb it. My, all mine. <laughs> so let's go to the Mystery House. Where we answer questions from listeners like you. If you have your own questions you'd like us to answer, you can send them into Colin at Gamnesia.com. That's C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. We love hearing from you guys, and we you've got a really good chance of being answered on the show. So first up, let's see. Tyler Pignatori asks, I listen to a few podcasts and they often have a video option as well. So I was wondering why you guys don't film your podcasts and put it on YouTube for people to watch instead of only the voice option. Uh, so the answer to this one's actually pretty simple. We record from three totally different places. Uh, we don't have like a studio or a house or anything like that. We're all doing this from home and it's pretty boring to watch three dudes on their crappy webcams. So uh, we do have a YouTube channel, Gamnesia TV. Um, I can't tell whether you're asking this because you did know that or because you didn't. Uh, but <laughs> either way, what we've got there is definitely a lot more enjoyable than uh, if we filmed the recording session and, and put it up. So, ignore that propaganda answer. The real reason is that we're all so beautiful, it would just shatter the internet if we did that. So, Especially Ben. Only uh. the sultry sound of our voice. <laughs> Luke Argama Pirate asks, Alex, Ben, we all know Colin's love for Waluigi, but what Nintendo characters do you love more than anyone? My main man is actually a really minor character from Majora's Mask. Uh, is it Cafe? Well, not really minor. It's Cafe. Knew it! Oh, uh, yeah! Also, He's also purple, so he and Waluigi have some kinship there. Um, I don't know what drew me to him. I guess it's because I played Majora's Mask at a very impressionable age, and so he was just a character that I kind of latched onto. Um, but I sort of love I love his role in his own story, um, where he he doesn't kind of roll over and take the crap that he's dealt, unlike most of the other characters in Majora's Mask, but he really be, becomes a kind of actor mm. trying to, to resolve his own problem. Um, nice. And I like the Keaton mask as well, so that just plays into that too. <laughs> yeah, his that outfit helps. is incredible, and uh, the whole adult becoming a child thing is a nice reversal of uh, Ocarina of Time and all these other like really interesting things about him. So cool, nice, Ben. Yeah, so Cafe is actually one of my favorites too, but I won't go ahead and blather on about him because Alex has already summed it up pretty well. <laughs> um, I've, I'm sure I've talked about this in the podcast, maybe not recently, but I'm all about that Captain Toad life. <laughs> I just think the character is fantastic and adorable, and the game is super fun to play. So it was just really exciting for me to see Nintendo sort of do a, you know, take some time out and do a $40 game that's just pure fun and entertainment and stars such an adorable character. Yeah, And then um, uh, I know we also talked about this somewhat recently on the show i've I've always uh liked luigi since i was a kid but not so much because you know uh, the reasons a lot of people say like he has more personality than mario and things like that and those are all true and they do make him a good character but it's just because for whatever reason at a young age i was sort of drawn to him in multiplayer games like when uh i'd play mario kart or uh, uh mario party or uh, any mario sports games for some reason i just always wanted to play luigi it's because you can uh, win by doing absolutely nothing <laughs> yeah that's true and you get the death stare um 
I think in a way maybe I was just kind of drawn to him because you know Mario was popular and I thought it was kind of cool to like the underdog mm-hmm. character or whatever. But uh, one of my best friends growing up also always wanted to pick Luigi in every multiplayer game. So it's just been a rivalry between us sometimes with physical violence involved <laughs> to see who's going to get to uh, pick Luigi first on the character select screen. But 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 your ultimate love is Captain Toad, right? Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> all about yeah, so, so no lie, Ben came to my house right after that game was announced and was would not shut up about how it was the game of the year. <laughs> like I'm pretty, you met a bunch of my friends that day and that's pretty much all they remember about you is that you're the captain. Toad guy. That's outstanding. I also, uh, when I, I wrote up some sort of news story about it and I remember, or maybe it was an impressions piece, whatever it was just for Jeez. some giggles. I opened it by writing like a poem about how wonderful captain. Oh Toad was. <laughs> it was called an ode to toad. <laughs> an ode to toad. Excellent. So, Matthias asks... Is that not Matthias? I'll go with Matthias. 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 Okay. Uh, There were quite a few games on the Wii and DS that had great Wi-Fi modes. Games like Mario Strikers and The Conduit were a lot of fun online. Do you guys think Nintendo might ever consider revitalizing them on virtual console? Probably not. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to be the cynic right off the bat. So, if anything, I feel like what they'll do is they'll make a remaster and charge you $60 because that seems to be mm. the wor- the winning business model these days. Yeah. Wow, you um, to me. Congratulations, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or they'll make a sequel, which I'd, I'd really prefer, but yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly hope they do at least, uh, hopefully on NX. Cause like we've already seen other companies revive online features for older games and they've even done it to some extent on 3ds with the Pokemon re-releases. Um, Unfortunately, reviving actual online gameplay means servers, which they may be less willing to embrace for something that's on, like, the virtual console. But I really value preserving games, and I think Nintendo does at least a little bit. So it may be naive, but I do have at least some hope. Didn't we just read a story about how they've already shut down the servers for Devil's Third? We did. Yeah, that I'm is kidding. true. That is true. Uh, but maybe but they don't want to preserve. I, I mean, games third. worth preserving. I think a better question should be: Will Nintendo let you play online in their current and future games rather than yeah, their right? past ones? <laughs> we'll um, no, that's a really good point, though. The preserving games point, because that's always been something I've been anxious about when it comes to buying. Really, not just buying digital, but 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 buying into Nintendo's uh, online games or online mm-hmm. heavy games is that. Will this be a game that I can really come back to as a classic later on? Or is it going to be a game that I'm going to be unable to play ever again after right. like the five years or year and a half that its servers are up? Um, so, yeah, no, that's a good... I mean, like, imagine if Splatoon had, like, failed to catch on. It was still the amazing game it is, but it just... People weren't playing it. Yeah. They never followed it up on any other console, and it just stayed there as this Wii U game that was amazing for its time but the servers are down and just no one can ever play it again like yeah, just like, like devil's third <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean ironically the multiplayer is the most critically lauded part of that game uh, yeah like so, the director yeah, in, even in made some the sense they are destroying the thing that makes it even remotely Worth okay almost playing yeah, right. I remember the director even making the complaint that people can't fairly review the game because, you know, the online servers aren't up and functioning yet, and that's the best part of the game. So, mm-hmm. well, bye-bye best part. <laughs> 
Rivers question mark Gatensby question mark uh, <laughs> asks GameCube controllers are only usable in Smash on the Wii U, but there are many other games I think that could use this compatibility. What games or VC games do you think could benefit from GameCube controller compatibility? I say everything. <laughs> like that's a great controller. Um, in particular, though, I would say Pikmin Three, Hyrule Warriors, Mario Kart Eight. Uh, Mario 3D World have the most to gain. Um, like I'm sure there are others, but personally, those are the ones that I actively want to play with that kind of controller. So, Resident Evil 4 Wii version was, I believe, recently added to the Wii U eShop. Ooh. And I know that it didn't come with a GameCube controller option, but I would love to see uh, that added in, frankly. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about uh, Wii Virtual Console. Because mm-hmm. those are those are like eShop games now. They're not Virtual Console games. Right. Um, but I guess they count in this sense. Um, oh, so I hadn't thought about that. Interesting. Yeah, I would. I was going to say all of Wii Mode, because there's really yeah. no reason why that shouldn't be possible. All the, all the yeah. games that were going to support it already support it. You don't need to patch anything in, except for to, you know, allow it to access your USB. Um... Seems right. like a pretty easy solution, but uh, nothing so far. Yeah. Um, it's sort of weird because uh, I agree with all of, all of Colin's suggestions, of course, but um, I'm sort of in that place where it's like, I really wish I could say, like, Breath of the Wild, but that game uses all these control inputs that aren't possible with the GameCube controller. And I really wish I could say, like... Does it use that many? HD, Are we sure? It uses every single possible button on the wii u gamepad okay well in that every case, single one yeah which is really surprising actually but um does but, it use uh, but, like the click sticks in option yeah it uses the click sticks it uses uh oh, wow. lr and zl and zr uh, mm-hmm. all the yep. d-pad directions like it uses everything hmm. uh, except for the touch screen um, but I'd, 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 I'd add to Colin's list the uh, the HD Zelda ports because those were originally mm-hmm. GameCube games, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be playable with GameCube controllers. Yeah, very good point. And kind of on the flip side, I think that they should also add in Wii Remote support and Mirror Mode to Twilight Princess HD because yeah. you know if they're gonna have if they're gonna let you play it one original way, they might as well let you play it both of the original ways. And I think that the sure. the Wii Remote Control is the better way to do that game anyway. It just sort of frees up one button from your hand and, and lets you focus on other stuff. I was kind of surprised that, that it wasn't in Wind Waker because, you know, with the Twilight Princess control scheme for at least the Wii version, it would would have worked. Mm-hmm. It might not have been yeah. preferred, but that's people. a lot of people played Twilight Princess on Wii, so might yeah. as well give them something they're familiar with. Right. Um, all right. Well, those are the mystery house questions we had for this week. So let's head on over to the sacred realm. And here we are in the sacred realm. Alex, Ben, and I are the three golden goddesses of Hyrule, and you dear followers pray for us to pontificate on the subjects you guys want to hear. So David Llewellyn says... I feel cheated that downloadable games on the eShop are so expensive compared to their retail counterparts. For example, Star Fox 64 3D is available to download for £39, whereas the retailer Game is selling a download code for £31. The worst example I've seen is FIFA 13 on the Wii U eShop priced at £49, which I'm sure you'll agree is a ridiculous price for a game that came out in 2012. Especially since it's friggin' FIFA. (laughs) 
Satoru Iwata was quoted at Nintendo's financial briefing in March 2014 explaining why digital games are on sale for the same price as their retail counterparts, but it doesn't explain why they don't revise their eShop pricing structure two, maybe three years down the line. What are your views on Nintendo's digital strategy and how likely is it they'll reduce the eShop prices in the future? This is the completely wrong question that I copy-pasted. <laughs> You guys okay. want to talk can, about can, it can, and then do the it. My Nintendo one? <laughs> we, can, we can just talk about this, actually. They're kind of related. We already... Okay, um, yeah, yeah, go. We'll do the My Nintendo but, one another time. Yeah. Um. So, I would... When I, when Wii U first was coming out and they were first talking about the eShop and they were first talking about uh, trying to have most games released day and date with the retail versions on the eShop... Um, one of the things that I really was hoping they would do is be progressive about pricing because, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, Nintendo stands to gain the most, I think, from people converting to digital because they, uh, the biggest problem they have had this past generation was that their operating costs were like super high and anything that they could do to keep the operating costs down for Wii U would have been astounding. Awesome. And yeah. so I would have loved to see at least, you know, a $5 or, or five pound or five euro or whatever, discount on an eShop game like that would have been acceptable to me i would have bought everything digitally even despite their account practices because the savings would have been worth it and mm-hmm. i know they tried to kind of offer you something kind of like that with the, the, the digital deluxe promotion or deluxe digital promotion or and they also the did that, that thing called. with wind waker where they released it like a week early on eShop or something like that yeah that was also something that i really liked um but they none of that ever really panned out as like a solid this is our real selling point to buy digitally on Wii U. And then on top of that, they didn't even include storage in the thing. So (laughs) they really got everything wrong when it comes to downloadable games on on Wii U uh, in particular. Uh, 3DS is a little better because SD cards are, like, way uh, more consumer-friendly as a storage Mm -hmm. option. But Not they, when they, they really screw the do... faceplates to the back of the system and can't uh, get the SD cards out, but... Well, I, I, I guess they <laughs> figure if you're going to yeah. be buying a new 3DS, you're clearly a diehard uh, 3DS owner. Yeah, so you're not going to want just the four gigabytes they give you in there. No. <laughs> um, so, so Nintendo's again, doesn't match up. Nintendo's digital revenue has uh, increased, I think, every single quarter, like, in a row last year during the fiscal year. It was their best year ever for digital revenue, and the past three months were their best three months span ever for digital revenue. So they're clearly seeing that you can make a profit off it. And, you know, like Alex has said, they've kind of dabbled with a few things here, discounts or early releases and, you know, promotions and things like that. They're trying to get the word out and trying to let you know that, hey, we're finally catching up to the modern era. We can do digital right. But as Alex so eloquently pointed out, the Wii U does not have a hard drive. So it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can only push it so far on a system where you can only download like two or three games before your hard drive is full. Right. So not a hard uh, drive, flash memory. Yeah, sorry, flash memory before your lack of hard drive is full. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I think Nintendo. My view is on Nintendo's digital strategy is that so far it's terrible, but <laughs> it's slowly improving. So as to whether or not it'll improve in the future, you know, I think we'll kind of get a hint about that when we hear more about NX and sort of see what their priorities are for NX, how much storage it's going to have, what its online infrastructure is like, and uh, as we see more My Nintendo deals start to evolve. Because they talked a lot uh, yes. about mm-hmm. about giving people rewards for, for purchasing things digitally through My Nintendo, but so far... 
we have seen very, very little of that, both in Japan and globally. So it's possible that they have some some big ideas and some sort of big savings and rewards programs and things like that lined up, and that they're just waiting to announce them because they know, you know, Wii U doesn't have a hard drive. There's kind of no point in pushing it that hard. It's possible that they're just waiting until NX comes out to really bring out the good deals. But at the same time, this is Nintendo, and they've been behind in this space for quite a while, so... I'm going to have to see some proof before I'm all optimistic and actually expecting that kind of improvement. Right. And I feel like part of what they've been doing on the Wii U uh, is just sort of they realize that they've got the eShop, they've got this online infrastructure uh, as cobbled together as it is. I think they're just sort of recognizing, look, we don't have this really sprawling, rich interface for this kind of stuff, but we might as well play with it while we've got it. Do things like exactly that. Release Wind Waker a week early on the eShop, or, you know, do digital sales, my Nintendo rewards every now and then. And then I feel like this generation, they're maybe just getting a feel for what works and what doesn't, and then with NX, they're going to roll out, like, an actual plan of some sort, and, and get it right. Um... But the other part of this, you guys were mentioning My Nintendo, so I think it's probably a good idea to just bring in the My Nintendo question now, uh, if you guys agree. Yeah, that's probably sure. wise. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so Daniel Meyer asks, Oh, Golden Goddesses, now that we've had a couple months to experience it, what are your thoughts on My Nintendo? I personally think it's a step down from Club Nintendo, as it only gives coins for digital downloads and I still prefer physical, and the rewards are extremely lacking. Um, And so, Ben, you were just mentioning this before, but yeah, like, my Nintendo is another prong of this sort of digital reward strategy, digital download strategy, that, you know, they're, they're trying to give people rewards for their digital downloads, but I think the the major hole in this plan is that these games that they're offering, first of all, they're only offering discounts, but second... All the games they're offering discounts on are all the games that I feel like a lot of people are already going to own if they're using My Nintendo in the first place. It's not your average consumers. I can't, I mean, I don't have any, like, facts to back this up, so obviously I should keep talking. (laughs) Well, but I I can't imagine. I have a a great anecdote to back that up. Okay, okay, good. Oh, excellent. I got a total evidence. This will be funny. Trust me. The My Nintendo sale where they said they were going to do tailored discounts just for you. Mm-hmm. Every single f- tailored discount was for a game I already owned. Well, <laughs> what the hell, yeah, Nintendo? Really you tailored. know exactly. what I own. Offer that's, me discounts on games I don't own. That's exactly the problem. You're right, and like I, some of the things they're offering, like on the virtual console, are things that I don't own on the Wii U Virtual Console, but, like, I already own all those games physically, which I mean, you know, I know a lot of people don't, so I, that's not an unfair deal for other people but yeah if they're gonna personally tailor it to the user then they've got to get better information about this the only thing i've been able to download off of my nintendo except for my nintendo picross the legend of zelda twilight princess which is a long ass name uh the only thing i've been able to get was a round of pikmin 3 dlc and even that was just because I had, like, some eShop credit and could get, you know, a 20% discount or something. Maybe that was actually free. But, you know, none of the games I can get, uh, very little of the DLC I, you know, can get. They're, they're just, the rewards are not good. They're not really thinking about what people are already going to own. Um, and as we've said before, you know, if the flash storage fills up so quick, what's the point of digital rewards in the first place? See, um... I think the sort of strategy that they're going with with my Nintendo of offering 
pop, discounts on popular, well-known games. You know, like we said, it doesn't really do much for us because we, we already own most of those games. But uh, I think this is a strategy that is great a year from now because Nintendo wants to use their mobile games to tap into this big yeah. mobile market over a billion mobile users and then bring in new users. So right. for them, if they, you know, play a Nintendo mobile game and then go, oh, cool, I'll sign up for this My Nintendo thing, and then they see discounts on, oh, I've heard of Mario, I can get a discount on that. I've heard of Zelda, I can get a discount on that. Yeah. Uh, so from that standpoint, it's not a bad strategy. But the problem is the only mobile game they've launched so far is Miitomo, and no one is rushing out and buying a 3DS or a Wii U because of Miitomo. Now, you uh, fast forward. No to this one is fall. rushing out to keep Mitomo. Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> like, which that's the mobile that's games they're making are day, not helping I, the strategy. That's another problem. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I, I, that's what I was about to, to get on. But first, let's just rag on sure. Mitomo for another second here. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I didn't check it at all during E3, and I haven't since. And I checked it like every day up until that point. So I'm guessing my little Mitomo is like starving to death now or something. But you know, whatevs. <laughs> so, this fall, Nintendo's going to release Animal Crossing, which has actually decent potential to, to, to attract a large yeah. number of non-Nintendo gamers. And they're going to release Fire Emblem, which has, you know, some potential to, to bring in other gamers. So, if you can bring in those new gamers and then capitalize on all the hype surrounding the new Zelda and NX and things like that, a year from now, when there's NX hype and there's actual Nintendo mobile hype, instead of just people playing Miitomo for two days and then getting bored... Then I think it actually is a good strategy to offer you know the Mario games that every Nintendo fan already owns yeah. at a discount. But right now it's it's just a waste. Nobody really wants those rewards. Right. Yep. Um, I, I guess yeah. Well, like we were kind of saying earlier, the big problem I've been having as a Nintendo fan is this was released so late in both of these systems' life cycles that there's. Anything that I haven't bought already, I'm not interested in buying, and I'm certainly not interested in buying it even if it's discounted at the really steep discount of 30%. Like, right. that was sarcasm, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, that's not enough of an incentive at all. For a $60 game, especially. There's no, there's no excitement behind any of the things that they're even putting up on my Nintendo. So mm-hmm. I think the big thing that needs to change, if this is really going to be part of their... Uh, eShop pricing get people into digital strategy is they need to be putting newer games up on this service and at least offering discounts for them but ideally uh if you are really loyal offering you a free game every once in a while yeah no they definitely need to offer free games and and the rewards can't just be on things that you're pumping money into the eShop for um by that i mean like so so you can get discounts on ga- games with like your silver coins but the virtual console games for example you can only get those by spending money on other virtual console games and like no yeah, I feel like your system needs to be set up so that you can... I don't think there should be that divide between silver and gold coins, actually, at all. I think I you should either. just... Everything should just be the same currency. Um, I think and, the and, gold coins should accrue much faster, but the silver oh, coins sure. should be a slow burn, and you can still... I mean, uh, I, I get it to an extent, but but they could at least seriously slow down the accrual of silver if that's no, really... No, right. I mean, I get what they're going for, but it just doesn't work out in practice, I don't think. Yeah. Um, it just and, seems needlessly complicated. Yeah, yeah. And it that needless complication prevents me from getting the things that I would actually consider getting, and it 
any of the things that I don't want to get at all are sitting there completely untouched. My coins are just piling up. I've got nothing to do with them. I don't really want them, so I guess in a way it's good that they get deleted after six months, but there's <laughs> what they've done is they've created a situation where it's good that they're getting rid of your money and just doing nothing yeah. with it. So, like, um. come on. that's. <laughs> I guess when you put it that way, it's a terrible system. While we were talking about silver coins, something occurred to me that I think would be really great. And I might have talked about this when we were first talking about my Nintendo like a long time uh -huh. ago. But um, if they are going to continue segregating them, one thing that would be a really great uh, sort of goodwill move is kind of like what they've been doing with Mitomo. Uh, have a way for you to accrue enough, uh, I guess they're platinum coins, through the games that you can uh, just buy the DLC for those games, those specific games, with the platinum points you're getting from the game. Yeah, that would be, be really good. Yeah, that would be a good way to leverage that system. Um, of course, that won't happen because hey, if you said this here, is the it will. Area in which, you gotta believe, Alex. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't have much faith in myself as a golden goddess right now. I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would love for them to do stuff like that. Um, that'd be it. That'd be probably the best way to salvage the whole platinum point experience. Cool. 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 All right, well, it sounds like that is the end of Nintendo Week for today, so thank you all so much for listening. Remember, we are off next week, but we'll be back on July 13th. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility. We're working really hard to make this show great for you guys, so those reviews really mean a lot to us. Uh, if you haven't done that, please do. It's greatly appreciated. We're up to 70 now, so let's see if we can make it to 75 by the next episode. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to colinicamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's colinicamnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A and at C-O-L-I-N M-C-I-S-A-A-C And Alex, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Legend of Lex, right now i'm like exclusively talking about zelda so uh <laughs> you guys have any zelda questions i would love to field them if you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff you can head to gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens we got sony microsoft indie you name it and even nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show on our way out please enjoy an incredible rendition of f-zero's mute city theme by long box of chocolate thank you all so much for listening and we hope you have a great week
So Nintendo doesn't quite consider Zelda Breath of the Wind to be an open world game. It's not Breath of the so Wind Nin either. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm trying to get my dog to stop snoring. Dog cast. Hi. There we go. <laughs> uh, this is our official dog cast. 